so good to see you all here. Uh, I'm Zach with 4.0 Solutions, and I'm joined today with Walker Reynolds and Jeff Winter. So we have a really exciting show for you guys today. Um, we got a couple of quick announcements, and then we're going to get right into it. Um, please feel free if you guys do have any questions, engage them in the chat. Uh, Jeff is also monitoring the comments as well as as us. So uh, it's good to see you all here. Walker. Ahoy. How's it going? So, hey, guys. So we have Jeff Winter from Microsoft here with us today. Um, I'm going to do some housekeeping stuff real quick. Um, Zach, you want to go ahead and show my show my screen real quick? Um, yeah. yeah. And so we've got um, you guys should know Jeff. He's a you know former grand tech guy uh now he's with uh microsoft um you know purdue engineering background the whole deal he's uh you guys may know his name through um he was also one of the who's who from uh, in industry 4.0 from analytica from last year uh, actually we're like on consecutive pages um and uh we're gonna have a conversation with him about um you know his his journey but also we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about um, you know, digital marketing and digital marketing for industry 4.0. And um, so hopefully that uh, will be valuable for you guys. I'm going to talk. There's a couple of things I want to go over um, at the end of the stream. Uh, I'm going to touch about, I'm going to have a com quick conversation with you guys about managing expectations. I'm going to talk about some things that came up over the last couple of weeks on some projects we've been working on that I think will be helpful for other engineers out there who are part of, who are doing digital transformation uh, projects and some of the things that you can prepare yourselves you prepare yourselves for in terms of managing expectations uh, going forward. So, but uh, all the housekeeping stuff. The sponsor this month um, is um, Digital Factory Mastermind, the twelve week accelerator program. Are you talking to me, Zach? Is my volume on? Zach. Yeah, uh, someone said in the chat that there was an echo. I, I wasn't hearing it on my end, but I'm just trying to make sure it's not not coming through. Oh no, I don't. I don't have an echo, um, and I don't have my volume on. Um, the twelve week accelerator program for a digital factory mastermind. If that starts tomorrow, February second. So if you guys are already be a member of Digital Mastermind T. University, and you started Matt say in the last year, give or take, or say definitely in the last six months, we are doing a 12-week accelerator program that basically is going to catch um, everyone up. Please, uh, hey, Alan, will you send Tanya a message, please, and let her know that I'm on a live stream? Um, the if you guys want to get caught up, that is you want to get through all the stuff that we did in 2021 and you want to do it in, in guided and you want to do it in 12 weeks, um, then go ahead and sign up for the, the accelerator program. Okay. That starts tomorrow. I can go through the accelerator track if you guys want me to, but, um, Zach we sent out an send email with that information and we have about, we had 45 people sign up within the first two days. Okay. And so Pretty pretty excited about that. Alan, please send Tanya a message and tell her I'm on a live stream and ask her to stop DMing me, please. Um, thank you. Um, uh, news and updates, real quick. So you guys may know that we we created a 
community advisory board. So in the months of December and January, we put together um, a community advisory board made up of, I think there's eight members on that board. Um, the chair is Dave Schultz and the co-chair is Mario Ishigawa. We meet tomorrow to go over uh, some mastermind and mentorship curriculum stuff. If you guys have any feedback, uh, anything you guys want the advisory board to bring up uh, during that session, please reach out to Dave Schultz or Mario Ishigawa. We're going to be sending out a message, an, uh, an email blast after that meeting that has all the members of the board so you can reach out to any of them if you want to um, to get um, support. Um, and then last two things, um, you know, we, we had this strategic discussion a couple of weeks ago. I, I talked about some of the strategy for 2022, so – um, and, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit more information on that. So, you know, obviously there are, I, you know, 4.0 Solutions runs IIoT.University. 4.0 Solutions does education and outreach for all things Industry 4.0. Intellic Integration is our engineering firm. And most of the, the projects that I talk about with you guys, most of the stuff, that the, the experience that I talk about from our engineers comes from what we do at Intellic Integration. But our mission is much larger than just you know, I'm not in this to make money. I could, on, the truth is, I don't really give a shit about money at all. Um, I have people who are tasked with keeping us in business. So my mission is to help save and create middle class jobs in the U.S., a much bigger mission. Um, and everything that I do is centered around um, is, is, is to serve that end. Why? Because I believe most of the the decline of what we see and, you know, I mean, I think most people would argue that Western culture has been on a decline for, you know, the last 20 years, 20 or 30 years. Most of that can be tied back to the struggles of the middle class. And the Industry 4.0 provides a, a very unique opportunity for us to revitalize the middle class in the West, specifically in the United States, because that's where I live. Um, and so my much lar- I have a much larger mission centered around helping to save and create middle class jobs, because that will help revi- revitalize the middle class in the United States. So part of what we're doing in 2022 is taking an additional step. So you guys know that I have a book coming out called Adversity and Success, which is for a much broader audience. It's not for the engineering audience. It's for a it's for the, all the, the non-engineers, for the layperson. And it's all about how to overcome adversity and find success. How to, you know, if you're a stoic, it's, you know, op, you know Ryan Holiday uh, has a book called The Obstacle is the Way. Adversity and Success is, is the obstacle is the way for the layperson. So... Um, but we have a, a bunch of great initiatives coming uh, this year. And, you know, n- tomorrow I have an interview. Um, I have a meeting with um, a, a really famous, uh, world famous athlete, actually, and his wife talking about um, the possibility of us sponsoring a big event that they're doing in August. Um, and I expect that to go through. I expect us to be able to interview that that athlete and 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 talk about how he's overcome adversity in his career and how he has found success and the difference between people who transform the world and the people who don't. What is the fundamental difference between those who make a difference and those who don't? Um, and so I, I have a big meeting with them tomorrow to kind of finalize, you know, what what the sponsorship would look like, um, you know, how we're going to support these guys. Um, and so look forward to that. Hopefully I'll be able to give you guys, you know, mention his name and everything once we get back. Uh, from that from that meeting tomorrow. So uh, with that, uh, I've got a couple of updates at the end. Remember, we're going to talk about managing expectations. I'm going to give you an example of something that's popped up in one of the projects that we have going on, a major global implementation um, that we're doing. I think it's um, 
it's definitely at least four dozen facilities that we're doing all at the exact same time that the, the engineers at Intellic are doing. And I want to talk about something about managing expectations, some things that have popped up in multiple projects. We've seen it many times and we have a plan to manage it, but it's something I don't think we've ever shared with the community and I want to do that today. So, but with that, let me um, over and let's, uh, let's bring Jeff Winter into the discussion. So, hey, Jeff, how's it going, man? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. So I, I think most of the community knows who you are. I mean, they, they certainly should recognize your name. But for those that haven't, who, who are not aware of who Jeff Winter is, can you, you want to do a quick introduction, who you are, where you work, um, and what brought you here? Sure. So yes, name's Jeff Winter. I am an industry executive for manufacturing with Microsoft. And what that basically means is I'm part of the manufacturing operating unit in the United States, which is comprised of like 800 people. And it's my job and the, the team I'm a part of to help support that, uh, that team, which is mainly salespeople, to help manufacturers digitally transform at scale. Uh, I've been there, I think I'm on week 14, uh, and it's been an exciting journey. But the last eight and a half years of my career, I was at Grand Tech, which is probably where a lot of people here may know me from. Mm -hmm. And nope. you're the reason why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. What, what, is, uh, what, what did you do at Grand Tech? What was your, your, your title at Grand Tech? The end, I had five, four or five different titles while I was there. Um, my ending title was Senior Director of Strategy and Marketing, and it was my job to help lead the company's business strategy, so a definition of what our company does and the competitive advantage, and the marketing, which is more like the output of the business strategy. Got it. Awesome. What made you uh, the, the step from Grand Tech to Microsoft, right? Um, you know, obviously, Grand Tech's a great organization. You have nothing but great things to say about them. Yet you took the step to Microsoft. What was the thinking behind that? Right? You know, you obviously must have a life's mission. You know, there are values that you operate on. How, when you took that step, what were you hoping to accomplish when you you took that step from Grand Tech to to Microsoft? Sure. Well, I'll answer. Um probably the part that's most interesting is the Microsoft opportunity kind of kind of came out of the blue. And it was one that at least initially, I didn't fully entertain and fully consider it was only once I went through the process of the interviewing, I was recommended to talk to them, actually. Mm -hmm. And I uh, started talking to him once I learned about the role, and more importantly, learned about the company, I got excited and I thought that this would be a great opportunity. And then ever since I did join the company, I've learned an entirely different world that I've really never been exposed to on two fronts. One is just the sheer size of the company. I've never worked for a company this size. <laughs> and then number two, the level at which they play. So at Grand Tech, if you kind of view it is a lot of people look to me for a lot of the answers on the, the, the subjects of business strategy and marketing and what our company is kind of doing in those spaces. When I go to Microsoft, it is comprised of some of the smartest people in the world. And now there are thousands of people that I look up to in order to help me with that. So the ability for me to grow and learn is exponential. Then the other part I really am enjoying about it and part of the, the transition is the fact that it helps with some of my personal initiatives in the way that I like to brand myself and be a thought leader in the community of Industry 4.0. And now I'm with a company that gives me a significantly larger platform to, to help do that and push that passion. Awesome. I definitely want to come back to that part. Specifically, you mentioned a really important thing. I 
where I, I, I talk, I get messages all the time, like a thousand, something like a thousand messages a week inbound I get through Discord, LinkedIn, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm talking about like the legitimate messages. I'm not even talking about, you know, hey, you know, they know I own businesses and they want to sell me something or whatever. But I'm, I'm talking about like the legitimate messages. And, and, and I have a team that steers the messages to me that I need to read. And one of the thing, one of the most, the most common questions that I get is all around personal branding, like building, you know, I'm a college student, just graduated. I want to, I know that having a personal brand is really important. You know, you have a personal brand Walker. How did you build that personal brand? I get those questions all the time. One of the things that really stood out to me when we were talking in our, I think we, you and I met late December when we were doing the pre-call for this, this, uh, podcast was you were taught you talked about personal branding and the, and about how it was a it's a focus it matters right and and I say to everybody all the time in this day and age if you don't have a personal digital brand metaphorically you don't exist right I mean you know in and I want to I want to circle back to that um, I think that's a really important thing but before we do that I want to I think is a really a, a question I think most people would love to hear you answer is this. Everyone knows Microsoft, right? And I think most people know Microsoft as an organization that does three things. Now, Microsoft does lots of things, but I think the average person is going to be able to mention three segments of the business right off the top of their head, right? You got Xbox, you've got Windows operating system, and you got Office, right? Office 365 today, right? Those are the three things. And and, and one of those is edm- is entertainment. And two of them are really business solutions, right? And um, personal and business solutions. Can you tell for the community what is the difference between what is the segment you work in, and how what is the difference between that segment and and what their perception of what Microsoft actually is? Because I actually think this is a hurdle Microsoft struggles jumping, right? When it comes to the industrial manufacturing side, sometimes they have a they have trouble discerning between people's perception of what Microsoft does and what it is Microsoft actually capable of doing through their other segments in their business. Sure. So I can uh, try and answer that the best I can, knowing that I yeah, am on week 14 uh, right. with the company. So <laughs> right. the, the big things that I've learned with the company in joining it. So I'm going to describe kind of my learning over the 14 weeks and then to try and answer your question as a part of that. So there are three main aspects that I've decided I need to learn with my, with my joining of Microsoft. Number one is everything organizationally about the company, just how they're structured, the divisions that they have, the tools and resources that the company you know, has to offer, even things like the benefits and HR and just understanding the, the organization. Uh, that's one component. The second is everything Microsoft offers, just the full suite, just having a a grasp on what it is that they provide and offer. And the third is my role within that, because there's the job description, and then there's your actual role that you're doing as a part of it. So I've at least identified those three areas. I don't know that I have the answer uh, for any of the three of them right now, but I've learned how giant the company is, how many products they have, and how complicated some of the roles are knowing how giant the company is. So I'm learning all those aspects. So the way to to transition to your question is Microsoft offers a lot of stuff. And 
I'm going to say far more than even people that know the company really even realize. Right. There are people I talk to on a daily basis that forget things like, oh, yeah, Microsoft owns LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, Microsoft <laughs> owns Gammer. Oh, yeah, Microsoft owns GitHub. And the list goes on for another 5,000 items that you don't realize how big they really are and how much they kind of, you know, infiltrate every industry for what they're, they're looking to do. Now, my particular role, so I'm assigned to a vertical. All right. That means that uh, I'm assigned to manufacturers as as kind of a, an entity. Now, within that, I'm actually responsible for selling the full suite of Microsoft products that we have. I mean, anything from Surface computers to Azure to um, Dynamics to Teams to whatever it is that we sell. It's just two manufacturers. It's my job to help kind of pull in all these different pieces of uh, Microsoft together and talk about it in terms of business outcomes that can be achieved instead of just the technology. Hey, here's a new cool feature by Synapse. I don't even really learn those things. I need to talk more about the top three challenges that a steel manufacturer has and what ways that you can go about solving it and what the benchmarks in the industry are and the trends that are happening so that they can take advantage of it. So that's kind of my my role within it, which means they were looking for people that have a good understanding of just kind of the broader industry 4.0 and digital transformation and understand manufacturing. They're like, you'll learn the Microsoft stuff over time. Got it. Excellent. Can, can you tell us, Can I, I want to uh, chime in here because this is one of my favorite posts that you've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so this is sort of like tying into what you're talking about, the Microsoft for manufacturing. Can you tell us about this post and what you were trying to um, convey here? At a high well, level. sure. And when we get uh, later to the talk about personal brand, this will be one of the three elements of the personal brand that I talk about. So I was attempting to go for humor to draw <laughs> attention to a subject of something that's new and exciting, which is Microsoft Cloud for manufacturing. So Microsoft is coming out with all these different industry specific clouds. And they have uh, several of them out right now. They have one for healthcare. They have one for sustainability. They have just different subjects that they're coming out with these. And they just came out with their preview for manufacturing. And you can think of this as a collection of all the different capabilities, tools, resources, partner ecosystems coming together to, to be put together to make it easier for manufacturers to do all things digital transformation. So it isn't like a separate standalone product. It's just more of an emphasis put around combining everything, finding gaps that are in there and building out those you know pieces so that we can say, hey, here's an entire offering for all of manufacturing that we've thought of and put together. So it's leveraging all the stuff that we have. Like if you look at asset performance management as an example, we can already do that but there's some pieces you have to pull together in order to be able to do that. And then linking that to supply chain and linking that to, um, you know, transforming your workforce or maintenance for individuals, this kind of just pulls it all together to make it very easy for manufacturers just to kind of take that big leap. Well, let me ask this question and I want to ask it without, I don't. I don't want to come across as like a hater or anything. I want to be. Th this will be a. This is going to be a, a not a critical question, but a. Um, it, it, it's a. It's a question that comes up a lot. Okay, which is this. There's basically two approaches to digital transformation, um, and there you can really distill all approaches to digital transformation down to two approaches. One is the solution centric approach, which is Microsoft has owns lots and lots and lots of great products, right? And 
Rockwell Automation owns lots and lots of great products, and Siemens owns lots and right. You have the solution centric approach where I could be like, I could call up Microsoft, I could get Jeff Winter to come out, and Jeff is, you know, he's tasked with, you know, I'm going to focus on manufacturers, but my job is to, you know, look at their problems and figure out how a Microsoft solution. A, a, a cohesive solution where I take many different products, piece them together, could solve that problem, right? That you're the entry point, or you're at least tasked with being the entry point, right? So step one is that solution-centric approach where I could, I could call Microsoft, bring in Microsoft, and ask Microsoft to help me solve my problem. The, se the second approach is the technology-driven approach where I bring in someone agnostic and that agnostic person is focuses on technology first. And when I say technology, I don't mean broad technology. I mean specific. Like, I'm we're going to build an infrastructure based on MQTT. Our standards are going to be Spark Plug B. They're going to be Google. They're going to be you're right. These are the standards we're going to use to construct our MQTT infrastructure. And then we're going to find solutions that all support that technology, and we're going to piece them together. Right, so th this piece of software from Microsoft is going to be tasked with a with with um, functionality A, and this software from Inductive Automation is going to be responsible for functionality B, and we're going to piece them all together. You got two approaches, right? Well, one of the things that we see more and more and more is there are specific solutions from Microsoft that we want to use. There are solutions we want to use from AWS. There are solutions we want to use from non-big behemoth, like up-and-coming stuff, right? And we want to piece them all together on common technology. My question is this for you. From Microsoft's perspective, is that part of their, um, their role in, in digital transformation for manufacturing? Is it, hey, let's focus on what Microsoft mm -hmm. can offer first. And if Microsoft can't offer the solution for functionality B, C, or D, then let's also support the, the 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 integration of a third party solution that Microsoft doesn't have a financial interest in or ownership of. When you go in, is is it just Microsoft Suite or is it Microsoft Suite first, and then let's look at third party stuff? Because this question comes up all the time: Are the micro if I'm going to go to Microsoft or if I'm going to go to Amazon or if I'm going to go to Rockwell and I'm going to bring in their reps? Are they going to limit their solutions to only what they sell? Can you answer that? I think that would be a really valuable answer for the community. Sure, and I can share what I know so far. But okay. you have to remember the company is giant. Different, uh, right. different people have different roles within it. So my role within it is to help support that manufacturing operating unit, which remembers 800 people in the United States just for sales yep. uh, and just for sales of what we call the mid-tier companies, the Fortune 500 to Fortune maybe 5,000. There's a different group for the, the super huge uh, clients out there. So big group as, as a part of that. So my job is to help work with clients to get them to understand the art of the possible and to get them to ideally want to digitally transform, to paint that picture of what it looks like once you do this so that they have an understanding. A lot of people that I'm working with are executives at these companies to get them to go, ah, I didn't really see the need for that or I didn't understand and connect the dots between these various different technologies and the outcomes it drives. So half of what I talk about is case studies of real world examples of a company that had this problem that implemented these things in this order that received this type of you know outcome. 
I actually don't get into the actual products as much. We have other people that are for that. So if we get to the point where they go, great, how do you do that? I got teams of people I can pull in to actually architect and figure out how to do the specific thing that I talked about. How do you part of that. how do you steer? I don't mean to cut you off, but how do you steer to the right to the the correct architect at the right moment? How do you make that determination? Still learning. Uh, okay. that's, that's a combination. Remember those three things I, I need to know. I need to know my role. Yep. I need to know what Microsoft offers. And I need to know the organization, which means who are all those people out there. Week 14, I'm still learning. I'll find Got out it. each day, like there's another thousand people in the company that do this. You know, I had no idea. So, uh, you know, learning learning that aspect. Now, to answer one of your other questions, so I believe the number is something like 64,000 partners Microsoft uh -huh. has. Right. It's part of the main way that they go to market. And part of the big training I have is to know the entire ecosystem because Microsoft's big claim to fame or their biggest value propositions, they are the most inclusive, complete offering with their partners out of anyone out there because we do have everything from your windows operating system your teams your word your powerpoint all the way down to the infrastructure you know as as a service as part of it and we even make the computers you could use so we have like this huge you know portfolio that all put together that we try and say hey our message is we think that we're the best at being able to help you digitally transform and to help you understand what's possible out there and not focus as much on, well, is this particular thing a first party Microsoft offering or a second party uh, you know, partner offering? It's the fact that, oh, you want to achieve this with your supply chain? We can help you. Perfect. So let me- I, I want to touch on uh, yeah. Mario's question real quick. Well, I, bring that one up second. Um, there's a go down to man beers question. Where he said, okay, what do you see as the biggest challenge? Because I think that's a good segue right here. So, Jeff, what do you see as the biggest challenge in having OEMs? Since, since this is really what you're tasked with doing, right? The biggest challenge in having OEMs and Tier 1 and 2 suppliers or Tier 1 and 2 suppliers understand the need to digitally transform or the eventual outcome is obsolete, you know, obsolete, right? I'm sure Microsoft will have detailed case studies here. What do you, but let's start with what do you see as the biggest challenges? I mean, I know it's only been 14 weeks, right? But when you go in, and I can, I'll chime in on this on what I see as well. What is the biggest challenge that you see for OEMs and tier one and two uh, suppliers uh, for understanding the need to digitally transform mm. now? Have a strategy are, are now, possible? or you're facing obsolescence. Sure. So keep in mind, if we're making, if we're saying OEM is the same thing there, I'm not actually dealing with OEM. So it depends on maybe how we define that. I also didn't work with them at Grand Tech either. So it's been Got 10 it. years since I've worked with, with OEMs. But so you didn't, you didn't work with manufacturers that manufactured uh, um, original equipment for other manufacturers. Correct. Got it. I don't okay. write uh, so far the clients I've worked with. No, they do not manufacture machines. So basically. let's just so let's just do uh, tier one, tier two suppliers um, who are basically making raw materials or sub assemblies for other manufacturers. Sure. Yep. What is the so, biggest challenge in convincing them? Hey, digital transformation is something you got to do. The, the biggest challenge in convincing them? Yeah. I think is being able to link the all the stuff happening in the industry with the specific problems that they're having. And what's interesting is so far, every uh, executive that I've spoken to, they've got their list of problems. They've yeah, got they're their all the same that they, they just go yeah. like, this is the top five things yeah. that are issues 
or that we need to fix or that we need to you know, pivot and go this direction, but they have their challenges that they have. What they're struggling with is linking that towards actual digital transformation, where you could argue almost everything that they come up with has its hands tied in digital transformation. They just don't see the link between it. They're like, you know, they'll they'll see something on there like, well, we need to grow into a new market. That's one of our biggest things. Our market's shrinking. We need to go into, a, you know, a new market, look and go, but digitally transforming will help you achieve that. Here's how it will help you achieve that. And to get that light bulb to go off to go, I didn't realize that this can actually help us achieve the either the goal or the challenge that we're having. I don't know if that kind of answers your question. Yeah, um, it, it it absolutely does. And and I'll in I'll follow up with a, a a big so the biggest challenge that I see for manufacturers is they are saddled with their previous success. So one of the biggest challenges they have the, the thing that I have to convince manufacturers to do in our initial conversations is Forget everything you know. Throw it out the window. Just for the purpose of this conversation, throw everything you know about manufacturing out the window. Okay? And, and our goal here is if you were going to build the perfect manufacturing operation today and money was no consideration, what would you build? Let's start there. Let's draw a line between where you are and there. And let's incorporate all the cost analysis and risk risk reward and ROI, and let's scale back from perfection, and and then let's draw a vector that's gonna you know iteratively get you to this this end point. But in order for you to do that, you have to understand that what made you successful during the third industrial revolution in the 80s and 90s does not apply to the fourth industrial revolution, right? It, they they literally don't apply. What you created during the third industrial revolution is a is 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 what you will start with, but it doesn't apply to where you're going to end up with the fourth industrial revolution. Um, here's another um, another important point. Most of the time, when we talk to manufacturers and we say, "What are your biggest pain points?" You're going to get two types of pain points. You're going to get manufacturing operational pain points. You know, a the throughput on this reactor isn't significant enough because we've got we're waiting too long for the the test results from the lab in this process and we want to reduce the cycle time on that. So some of the solutions are I've got a list of problems and they're operational. And then they've got a list of business problems, right? We we're not in we have we're not introducing ourselves into enough new transformative markets. We are um, we're having trouble sourcing raw materials or getting them getting raw materials at the at the fastest time. We're having trouble managing our recipes. We're having trouble, um, this is the biggest one that everyone says, recruiting and retaining the employee of the future, even defining what the employee of the future is. What most manufacturers do not understand is that the solution of both suite of problems, the business problems and the operational problems, is the same solution, and it's digital transformation. They don't understand that part of that journey, that journey is solving both those problems. And we, we have to drive this point home over and over and over again. I'd be interesting. I know you agree. How, how do you approach that discussion, right? Hey, that the problem that you have, Mr. Operations Manager, and the problem you have, um, Executive Vice President of Human Resources, they can be solved with the same, the same approach. How do you approach that? How do you, how do you illustrate that to them? Agree. I think the world is trying to figure that out. Okay. Um, the, the thing that I will share and the, the anecdote I was going to reference actually would further support your, your case for it, which is 
my anecdote is really around the function of IT uh, within an organization and how it had a much clearer mandate 15, 20 years ago that was able to be managed within that function of the organization. With digital transformation, that IT department can get easily overwhelmed going for me to manage now the systems, the information technology systems of the other functions of the business, I need to have a little understanding of supply chain of HR now needs it, sales now needs it, marketing now needs it, operations, quality, all these departments, R&D, you know, they, they all need it. And it can be overwhelming for an IT department to, to know how to roll out a system for supply chain when they're not a supply chain expert. And then you go to the supply chain team and they're not an IT expert. So to answer your question that would tie into this is getting those business functions together along with the IT team and working together to identify the exact problems that you mentioned and showing how one solution or a set of solutions for each of the functions can solve this together. You usually get much more buy-in from both sides, uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel as a part of it and both thinking, wow, I don't need to be the expert of the other you know, group in order to make this work, because otherwise you're going to have, you know, one group going, ah, supply chain, we have an issue, we need to run with it, or IT has, is sensing an issue, and we need to run with it rather than really working together. Excellent. Let me ask to see Tom, Tomas's yeah, question, throw Tomas's question up here, I'll, I'll give him some empirical data and then let Jeff chime in here. So Tomas said, we understand the CEOs and manufacturing have a list of their top priority problems, as Jeff said but how many of them in percent have a digital strategy already in place? So I can give you the actual empirical data from our sample set. So we have 1,300 manufacturers now in the digital transformation maturity assessment data model. So that is 1,300 manufacturers have been assessed on across 10 pillars on a scale of one to five. One of those pillars is digital strategy, okay? So on a scale of one to five, the average organization is a 2.8, that is in strategy. So a one means they have no strategy whatsoever. A three means they have a solution-centered strategy. That is, we're going to go to Rockwell and have Rockwell transform us, right? That's what a three would be. The average organization is below that, okay? To put it in perspective, though, the number of organizations in the, of the 1,300... Can you, can you repeat the scale real quick? So what is a one and what is a five? So a one is no strategy at all. Okay. A three is a solution-centered strategy. That is, let's just call up somebody and ask them to digitally transform us. Uh, a call up a, a, you know. Siemens. Yeah, Siemens, Rockwell, Rockwell, Microsoft, Azure, whatever. That's purely solution-centered. A five is a technology-driven a strategy. That is, we have minimum technical Eco requirements, right? We have a digital strategy, a three-sentence digital strategy statement. We have minimum technical requirements, and, and we approach every project as one part of a bigger whole underneath this big digital strategy. That's a five. The average score is 2.8. Now, to put it in perspective, that includes companies like, you know, Tesla, Volkswagen. I mean, they're, the best companies in the world are in that sample set. So, the reality is what we really care about here is the mode, right? So what is our mode on that one to five? And that is what score is we have more instances of a score than any other score. And the answer is one. The mode is one. So if you look at the 1,300 companies in our data set, there are more ones than there are any other score. So 
it, and I'm sure Jeff will reinforce that, that many, most agree. organizations have no strategy at all. This is just a subset of it, but talk about the coincidence and timing. Just yesterday, I met with one of the, the leads for data strategy at, uh, at Microsoft that was uh, helping one of our clients out. And I just sat down, asked some questions. And part of what I asked is how many companies actually have a data strategy, which you could argue is a subset of a digital strategy. Yep. And her answer was, oh, almost all of them, 95%, I would say, from my experience in this. I said, on a scale of one to 10, how good is that strategy? And they go, oh, they self-identify as less than a two. Uh, and I would put them more to, at a one. Right. So that just helps, <laughs> helps you know, say that everyone goes, yes, I have one. But then when you actually look at it, you're like, that's... Really I, I do want to say this though, and this is Andre said gold nuggets. Uh, Cheryl said great points. Uh, I want to give a shout out quick to Brendan Riley and uh, Hanny. So thank you all for uh, chiming in in the comments. And I want to just add one thing because I saw something come up please. in there. Case studies. This is one of my favorite parts so far of working at Microsoft from a, a client facing perspective. Microsoft does a fantastic job of working with clients and uh, capturing all the information on their case studies. I don't know how they do this. When I was at Grand Tech, I wish we would have had information like this, but maybe it's just part of the clout of Microsoft that they can get this. On customers, I think it's customers.microsoft.com, they list every case study. There's like 3,500 of them. You can organize by technology if you want AI, for example, or by industry, you want automotive. They go, here's the 216 or whatever the number is, uh, case studies. It will tell you the problem, the solutions, the outcomes. It will even give you the company name, the contacts uh, as part of it. Like they're very public with this information. Yeah, the, what was that slug? Well, the, was that slug? Yeah, the case studies are available uh, on their website. You can go yeah. and, and filter through them. Um, maybe we can get Jeff to go on YouTube and and you know link it or have Zach grab it. Um, I think it's just customers.microsoft.com, but I there can you get go. that for you. Wait, here I'll say this about the question about case studies. Here we do case studies. We we start the case study before we ever engage. So from the moment we first talk with a client, we are collecting the data that's going to be used in a case study. So and we the reason we do that is because. We want a, the case study is, you know how you always say you have to define what success is? From a 10,000 foot view, the definition of success in any engagement is when you have a case study you can share with other people and they would be energized about doing the same thing, right? So we, we have a strategy of engaging from the perspective that we're going to do a case study. I want to... Um, These are all micro uh, manufacturing case studies. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to point out uh, Dowdell. He said, "This is why we build platforms that work for all business applications." Correct. And and Michael's talking about, you know, technology-driven solutions here. Uh, I want to read Hanny's question or uh, comment here. There are so many manufacturers out there that pour so much money into sales and marketing, and are still operating with legacy obsolete PLCs on their last leg, only until the system fails and they start losing production, so they see a problem. You definitely have a sales challenge ahead of you, usually transforming the architecture of their systems from the plant floor up to the cloud. Bridging the gap between IT and controls <clears throat> is the key to solving this problem. There's one other key to solving this problem. Someone will ask me, how do I know, uh, an integrator will say, how do I know, Walker, you say you're very selective about who you work with, right? You guys only work with one out of 12 people who, who want your help. How do you pick the one out of 12? It's very easy, okay? Number one, do we have common values? Do we believe the same things? Okay. Um, do we share common values and do we have a common mission? That, that's number one. 
We don't care share common values. We're, I'm not. We're not working together. Okay. So common values, transparency, authenticity, expertise, humility, servant leadership. Right. Number two, and, it, and here that you want a golden nugget. Here's your golden nugget. Look for organizations that are not run by accountants and human resource professionals. So if you you want to be looking for manufacturers who have technically trained people in the highest leadership positions in the organization. Here's why. The chief executive officer, when he's a manufacturing engineer, okay, ideally what you want is manufacturing engineer with an MBA running the organization, okay? If you've got the manufacturing engineer with an MBA, the manufacturing engineer is going to understand the business case for upgrading legacy equipment on that last leg on the edge without somebody in the organization having to make an ROI case to them. They're going to know it intuitively, okay? They're going to understand the diminishing return of aging legacy technology natively. They don't need someone to write a big proposal with ROI for them, which, by the way, isn't worth the paper it's written on, right? You, the, you know, you're just guessing on the ROI. So that's the nugget. Look for organizations that have common values that you have and are led by technologists. If if you're if you're if it's you want to know the background of the chief executive officer, you want to know the background of the COO, you want to know the background of the the vice president, you want to know where they went to school, what their backgrounds were, what their jobs were. If they're primarily accountants and HR folks, finance people, stay, you know, my recommendation is stay away. The companies who are transforming at the speed of light are run by technologists. But I, yeah, go ahead. I have a Sorry. question. We got a comment the other day on one of our older videos, the industry 4.0 mindset. I mean, it's funny. This guy actually went through like 20 of our videos and left comments on every single one. And they were all kind of negative. And I'm like, wow, this guy really watched a lot of our content for him not liking it very much. But anyways, he said, uh, you know, industry 4.0 mindset. He's like, this has nothing to do with industry 4.0. The number one thing we say about it, well, the first thing of the seven was like, industry 4.0 professional is 100% mission driven and values based. I'd be curious to know, Jeff, uh, from your perspective, and then also, you know, I saw you had a post from Microsoft the other day about like being carbon neutral, like sort of have as a mission, a larger mission of uh, Microsoft uh, to reach net neutrality on car carbon, you know, carbon production. Do you think in do you think mission driven and values based is an important part of being being industry 4.0? And if so, what are you know, what is your personal uh, mission and values? Those are two great questions. I've actually never thought of it that way. I I don't know that I would definitely say one is a requirement of the other. The be values and mission driven is a requirement in industry 4.0. But once I just heard you say it, I go, oh, that absolutely makes sense and can be very successful as a part of being an industry 4.0 professional. Um, so when you look at though generally have being mission driven, I think that that's valuable for every person in every role that they work. Yeah. I mean, if you've read the book Drive. Um, it helps you understand the, the intrinsic aspects of what get people excited and motivated and a desire to do more. And money is not the primary factor by a long shot. Being mission driven, if you want to call it, is the, the primary reason, having purpose for what you do. And so one of the things I've learned about the company of Microsoft that I really enjoy, and I'm sure a lot of other companies are like this too, but I'm very excited about the mission that they're trying to achieve and all the subsequent initiatives that support that mission. 
and they are very proud of it. They're very encouraging of it and passionate of it. They, they actually want their employees to pursue passions as long as they align with the company mission and the company values. They encourage you to kind of do things on your own that support that. And for someone like me, that's super exciting. My passion happens to be industry 4.0. So that is, you know, in direct alignment with it. Yes, I see this. This post was an example where I, uh, I earned this uh, badge. It took like four or five hours for me to earn and make sure I understand sustainability and Microsoft stance within it and how they're doing it. And that's probably the training I've had in the company so far that has got me more pumped than any other training mm -hmm. that I've had. And it technically doesn't relate to my job at all. This, this is what the chart. I'm darn proud to be part of this company. Like they are serious about this. And so it this was, chart it right was here is what really exciting. caught my attention. Um, if you actually look, it's sort of small here, but um, this is their uh, plant path to carbon, uh, carbon negative by 2030. It looks like you've already reached an inflection point where this blue, these blue lines are like the actual carbon production and green is like being offset. It's already reached an inflection point. And so I thought that was pretty interesting to see that data. Um, pretty, pretty cool stuff. And, and let me, I want to pivot here because we only have about 15 minutes uh, real quick because I want to make sure we give Jeff an opportunity to talk about personal brand building. Okay, because I think that's going to be valuable for the community. And then I want to I want to talk about managing expectations. And I'm actually going to use a Microsoft uh, example on um, yeah, you, sort of a, uh, an example of managing expectations, uh, a technical challenge you might run into, and how do you manage the expectations with your client um, from day one. Okay, so uh, but I want to answer Manbeer's question here. So he said, hey, uh, can you share a breakdown by company and size segment? Based on the empirical data that we have in our data set, um, I can't. If if you have a vertical you want to look at, so that that data set is probably the most valuable thing that we have, um, and we're very careful about who we share that data with, and we we vet everyone who has access to that data to make sure that they share our values, and you know they're not going to. Um, you know they're they're not going to uh, do something with that data that we don't. Um, we don't approve of. Um, so what I can do is if you have a specific breakdown you'd like to see, I could run a report and generate that for you. People who are members of our mastermind program, we actually teach them how to do these evaluations through the DTMA. We actually, we're just about done with the the interface right now where they're going to be able to submit their own scores and we can vet them and then they get, they'll get the reports from that. So it is a, I don't want to say it's a commodity, but it's a huge value of our organization. So we have to be careful about how much we share, but I'd love to share as much as I possibly can with you. Um, let's talk about personal brand real quick. You know, you're, so if you look at Analytica, right. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Jeff and I were both, uh, you know, the, uh, selected by Analytica and who's who in industry 4.0 last year, Jeff was in a different category. I was in like speakers and, and influencers. And I think Jeff, yours was in like key opinion leaders, right? You were a key opinion leader. Um, personal brand. You have a super strong personal brand that obviously didn't happen by accident. Can you talk about really two things? Number one, you know, why does your personal brand matter? Okay. I think you're definitely an authority to speak about that. And number two, how have you gone about building your personal brand? So your background, right? You went to Purdue engineer, you're a Purdue engineer, moved into sales and marketing. That was part of your plan. And then you built this brand. So A, why does it matter? And B, how did you do it? Sure. So 
it's funny if you were to go jeff what are the two things that you talk about the most one is industry 4.0 and two is personal branding so these are kind of my my two subjects even though they're kind of un, unrelated um so to answer your question the value of personal branding is hugely hugely important and this was thrusted into just a whole new level as a result of the pandemic. And so when I talk about my journey of how I got here and why I made certain decisions, the pandemic is actually what flipped the switch for me to make a digital presence. So when we're going to talk about branding today, this is purely digital is what we're going to be talking about, your digital personal brand. Now, this was coupled by the fact that because I went through switching jobs, I got to see what happens when you try and apply for new jobs and how valuable your digital presence is in yep. terms of finding a new job, as well as keeping contact with all the previous stuff you've done and previous people that you met. Simply put, like for example, your LinkedIn account is one of the few assets you really get to keep when you switch jobs. And it's uh -huh. the one asset that represents your personal brand very, very well out there that also is a link between all of your contacts that you have. So when we talk about personal brand, I have a strategy that I talk about for how to build a personal brand. And we'll go over that strategy in a second. And then we use a tool, which right now LinkedIn is the most powerful tool that may change. But LinkedIn is the most powerful tool right now to help promote that brand out in the, in the marketplace and to be a repository of your brand. So when we talk about building a personal brand, there's really three elements that I challenge people to identify themselves. And these will be three easy questions that will be really hard for you to answer. And it's okay if you change your mind on them over time, but you need to be thinking about them because the answers to these three questions will guide you on everything that you do when it comes to thought leadership, speaking, writing, meeting people, networking, attending conferences, everything. <clears throat> so the first, you need to understand what subject you want to be known for or subjects my case industry 4.0 digital transformation next you need to understand what skills you want to be associated to that subject in my case it's strategy and marketing those are the skills i want to be seen as all right subject skills and third is the personality type well if you follow me on linkedin you'll see all three of these kind of exude i talk on industry 4.0 I like to showcase through what I do about marketing and strategy. I talk a lot about strategy and you can just see the marketing aspect come through. And the third is the personality. I want to be fun spirited. And that's why I take those little posts that are fun or me dressing up as Buddy the Elf or the Microsoft Cloud for Manufacturing posts. So those will help shape how you present yourself in everything that you do. So that's kind of the personal brand at a high level. Now, one step below that, the biggest thing that I recommend for people is if you decide you want to be a thought leader or not, because that's going to be your biggest directional change with your personal brand. You should have a personal brand no matter what, even if you're never intend on speaking, never intend on writing or don't plan on being a thought leader. You should have a personal brand. You should have the answers to those questions and you should have a digital presence, ideally on LinkedIn. It's the simplest one that represents it. If you want to step step it up then you actually want to be a thought leader in the industry. And so now you're going to take that brand and push it into the industry as so you're seen for those particular things. And there are five elements that I recommend that you look at and figure out as part of determining your thought leadership if you want to go that route. And I got these from a guy named Jesse Tours, but I kind of learned, expanded on them and made them my own over time. 
The first is you need to identify your credentials. You need to understand what letters you need behind your name that actually make you an authority in the industry and figure out what those important credentials are. Licenses, certifications, whatever it is that makes it say, yes, this person knows what they're talking about. The second is accolades, being recognized in the industry as good at what you do or known in the field that you're known. In our case, Walker and I's, it's the Analytica who's who in Industry 4.0 is an example of an accolade, a peer recognized uh, you know, something that tells you that you're good at what you do. The third is the network, actually knowing who's who out there. So if you stump me, I know the right people to go to, or I know the president of this association or the chairman of the standard or the CEO of this company. It's your network of people to expand your knowledge because you don't need to know everything yourself. You just need to be connected to the people that can help you out with that. That's right. Fourth is being an ambassador, actually rolling up your sleeves and being out there in the industry and helping to advance it. This is participating in events and societies and just doing stuff that is helping the community. And then the last is being uh, influential. Now, I don't mean a social media influencer. I just mean being influential. That means actually putting your opinion out there, you know, speaking, writing, doing something where your name is associated to an opinion that is being, you know, put out there in the industry. When you put all five of those together, you will have kind of a path for what you do as being put as a thought leader in the industry. And then as part of your personal brand, you can use LinkedIn as one of the primary tools to help promote that and promulgate it out to the industry so people recognize you, know who you are, and it helps kind of fulfill your personal brand. Perfect. I I, I want to follow up on that with three things. So um, what do I want to be known for? In- I was like a little mini, mini masterclass in, in personal <laughs> brand. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good snippet for micro content, Zach. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to go to your three questions. So, you know, how do you answer these questions, folks? And And spot on 100%. In fact, I um, I actually have these questions written down, right? So um, I, they must have come out of a book somewhere that I read. But the um, what do I want to be known for? Industry 4.0, obviously, digital transformation. From a 10,000-foot view, I want to be known as a person who helps save and create middle-class jobs That at the end of the day. Industry 4.0 is a subset of that. Uh, number two, um, my it's the expertise, right? What, what do you want to do? The skill. Yeah, the skill. And it is a solutions architect. I am a person who can design and architect the solutions with, within Industry 4.0. And then my personality type, I am an asshole. And, and, and my – Zach, will you go to a split screen? The, my, my goal is to be known as someone who will tell you the truth no matter how painful it is. And, and mm-hmm. in psychology, they call this agreeable and disagreeable, right? I am definitely more of a disagreeable personality. What I would drive, drive home with Jeff here is when you are defining your personal brand, it is very important that your personal brand is an extension of who you are. That's the authenticity piece. If you are a jerk in the, in, you know, if you're not, as long as you're not a jerk in terms of um, you, you know, you want to hurt people. Like your goal, that that's a masochist, right? There's a huge difference between somebody who gives you bad news, no matter how it's going to hurt you, and somebody who's not going to give you the bad news. They're going to spend 15 minutes saying something that should only take them 30 seconds because they want to let you down easy. Both types of people are needed. You need people who are soft. You need people who know how to be circuitous in the way they communicate. You need people who are going to let you down easy, and you need people who are going to hit you in the face with a two-by-four. Be the person you are. Actu- you actually are. Here's why, and I and and 
I am I am, I don't hide the fact that I can be a jerk. I don't hide the fact that if I think you are wrong, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to tell you you didn't do your homework, and I'm going to do it in front of your boss, right? I don't hide that in any way, shape, or form. And the reason why is that I learned over the course of my career that you need people like that. There, there are people who get hired because they can give the bad news. And if there's anything that I have learned from the clients that we work with, and I ask them, why did you hire us? They're like, I want you to do the dirty work. You're here to push back against the person I can't push back against for whatever reason. Also, you know, my whole team isn't made up of people like me. Trust me. Everyone on our team is much more likable than I am. It is very, very important that the people you hire, you encourage, or the people you work with, you encourage them to be authentic in what their personal brand is. I think that's a, I mean, I think you nailed it 100%, Jeff. And I think that that's a beautiful segment, right? If we if we cut that whole piece out that you said right there, that's per- beautiful micro content. With that, I'm, yeah, I, go ahead, Zach. On yours, on your skills, also, you know, solutions architect and educator, you know, you have a a background in education right. and you're an online educator, right? You know, IIoT University. Yeah. One of the things so that where there's a, a new digital media guy that we're going to be working with, who's going to help us do micro content. He's a young kid, 20 years old, knows nothing about what we're, we do right at all. And he went and looked at like, I don't know, maybe watched like 30 of our videos or something. And he said, you know, has anyone ever told you Walker that you're really good at taking complex stuff and explaining it in a way that people can understand it? I said, yeah, that's, sort of my thing. So yes, that's part of my my brand. I, w- I want to, with the last couple of minutes, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about managing expectations and I want to use a Microsoft example. Okay. This is going to be a little nugget at the end and we'll talk about it later and then we'll, we'll uh, answer any questions, have Jeff answer any questions. Do you have a hard stop in three minutes or can you go maybe five minutes over? Okay, good. All right. Managing expectations. If there's, if there's anything if there's anything that I want to encourage people who are involved in supporting digital transformation initiatives, okay, if there's anything that um, I want to encourage you to do, it is focusing on managing expectations. And what does that mean? Okay, if you guys look at the five the five principles, common principles for Industry 4.0, five, five, number five is you must remain agile. Okay. So if I'm going to if I'm an industry 3.0 company and I want to transform, okay? One of the things I have to understand is that I have to remain agile in order to be successful. What is agility? Agility is the ability to change course quickly, okay? And here's why. Digital transformation is about exponentially increasing the collective knowledge of an organization. It's that simple. You're taking data, converting it to information, and you're getting it in the hands of people who need it, when they need it, where they need it, why they need it, how they need it, in the format they need it. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's taking the data from all around you and turning it into information so you can make decisions. Programs can make decisions or people can make decisions. Okay. Digital transformation is about exponentially increasing the collective knowledge of an organization. So that's how, when it, because it's exponential, organizations like Tesla have been able to go from on the verge of bankruptcy to the second most valuable company on the planet. And without a doubt, Tesla makes the best vehicles that have ever been built in human history. And it's not even fucking close. Not even close. You get in a Tesla, you drive a Tesla, you got into a fucking rocket ship. Okay? There, there's nothing General Motors makes. There's nothing Dodge makes. 
There's nothing any other car manufacturer makes that is even remotely close to what Tesla can provide to you. And Tesla, because they're a digital organization, they have been able to leapfrog the entire industry because they exponentially increase the collective knowledge of their organization. For every month that passes, they've attained two years of knowledge relative to GM, okay? Relative to Toyota, okay? I think you're not giving Microsoft enough credit oh. on that number two oh. to number two. I think it's Apple, Microsoft right now, but it's going to be not long before Tesla is number one. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I personally hate, hate Tesla. It breaks on the motor too aggressive, even slow and crouch modes. You can adjust the software. You can adjust that. You can adjust that on the software. Um, So the, yeah, put it into coast mode. Um, Here, real quick. Agility is all about recognizing that with digital transformation, if, if what I want from digital transformation is a function of what I know, and what I know is going to change exponentially as a function of digital transformation, then it naturally follows that I what I want will change exponentially too. When you are a digital transformation professional, an industry 4.0 professional, you have to go into these engagements understanding that what the customer wants is going to change at the speed of light as a function of their knowledge changing. And here's a really, really good example. We, are, we were doing a huge proof of concept for a um, sugar water manufacturer, one of the big soft drink companies, right? And they're, they have an ad, they're using Azure Cloud and they were using Time Series Insights for all of their Time Series analysis. So that's a Microsoft product, okay? Great and excellent Microsoft product, by the way. Time, TSI, Time Series Insights. We ran into a, we, when we initially started integrating, everything was Microsoft from Edge through the, well, from the PLC, which was a Rockwell PLC, that's a Microsoft partner. So from Rockwell all the way up to the cloud, everything was Microsoft. As we moved into the project, say three months in, there were a couple of solutions that were added, okay, that were not Microsoft solutions, part of the agility, right? So initially the stack is Microsoft, but then there's a couple of solutions that got added by other departments. And they wanted those solutions integrated, okay, into Time Series Insights. So from an executive perspective, say I'm just a chief executive officer, I'm the COO, I'm the director of digital transformation. From my perspective, I don't know the implication of adding a non-Microsoft product to a Microsoft stack. Okay. I don't, I'm not a developer. I'm not an integrator. I don't know what that implication is. If I take Microsoft stuff, you know, for the most part, Microsoft stuff just plugs into each other and they integrate nice, you know, relatively seamlessly. But when you take a non-Microsoft product or a non-Microsoft partner product, you may have to jump through, through some hoops. And this, is, this isn't Microsoft. This is, this is all ecosystems. Okay, It's all ecosystems. But I'm using Microsoft as the example here. One of the challenges we ran into is that Time Series Insights from Microsoft has a very unique header for the data points that go into TSI. So for every, for every data point, every point that I'm going to store that I want to trend, there's a, like this unique header format, okay, that the, the chief executive officer, the COO, the director of techno, uh, technology is never going to know that. That's an integrator problem. That's not a – managing expectations is having people on your team who identify, hey, 
We're going to need a week or so to define this payload just to put that header in for TSI. Being able to communicate that effectively, okay? How do you communicate that to a non-technical person? Okay? It's really simple. Microsoft uses triangles all over their ecosystem. Okay? They use triangles because all the triangles fit together. Take a triangle, plug it into a triangle, plug it into a triangle. They all fit together. Okay? What we did was we just introduced a two different products. One is in the shape of a circle. The other one's in the shape of a square. Okay? Now, we can make the circle fit into the triangle with a little bit of work. Okay? If we buy a triangle, the triangle is just going to fit into the triangle. You have to be able to manage expectations by understanding the technical challenges you're going to face and the fact that the people who make the decision don't understand the technical challenges. And that's just one little example. And M Michael Dowdell could give us a thousand different examples because that's the space that he operates in all the time. The, managing expectations is one of the most important skills you have to have in order to support a client who is on a digital transformation journey, right? And in my experience, by the way, we didn't know what the problem was with the header. Microsoft did a great job of supporting us, right? The, the Azure team did a great job of saying, oh, yep, we've seen this problem before. It's this. It's this little segment of text right here at the front of the payload that you're going to have to format in this, in this specific way. And so I wanted to give Microsoft kudos because they gave us a ton of support in that area, or our team, it's a ton of support. I didn't work on it myself. But um, managing expectations is a critical, critical component of being successful going forward. Um, all right, with that, any question that popped up here? Um, uh, they said they wish we could go another hour. <laughs> wish we could go another. <laughs> Good I, job, guys. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Steph, any parting comments, questions, concerns? Any, any things you want to you wanna point out before we call it a day? Um, I very much enjoyed this conversation. I, I think that probably one of the easier things to suggest to people that's probably different than the normal topic is to think about your personal brand and the representation that you have in digital formats, especially because we're in the COVID world right now mm -hmm. where most people are still working at home uh, and not going out. Be mindful of what's represented online for you because it is your only relation to the world. And be also because it's a candidate's market, make sure that your profile reflects what you want it to be. Because even if you're not looking for a role, you want it to represent what you want to be. And who knows who may come knocking on your door one day. So that's a big thing to encourage. And the other part with that is it doesn't matter what your role is. If you're a salesperson, if you're an engineer, if you're a CEO, it doesn't matter what it is. Make sure it's reflecting the brand that you want to convey. Because as a good example, I challenge people for sales. Let's say you're a salesperson. If you're a salesperson in your profile, all you're putting is how you blew sales numbers out of the water. That's an entirely different brand than if you talk about particular problems you solve for customers. You're still a sales guy, but you're framing your brand entirely differently by what you put in your profile. So make sure that what you put in there reflects the people that you would, you know, that the people that want to see it, that they're seeing what you want to show. Excellent. Great. One, Great one last question that came in. Um, someone asked, uh, I can't see it right now, but someone asked, does Microsoft support uh, your development of your own personal brand either. Oh, I saw that question. Uh, that was a great question. 
We're yeah. looking for ways to do that. Simply put, uh, everything I've done right now has been kind of Jeff Winter uh, by himself, but I'm now meeting teams at Microsoft. They're looking for ways to encourage it. And that's one thing that I found so exciting for a company like Microsoft is how much they're trying to find ways to support it rather than trying to find ways. I hear horror stories of other big companies of controlling or Jeff, you can't say this or you can't you know, do this as part of that. I mean, everyone I've met so far is looking for ways to go, how can we actually boost you more and make sure it at least reflects the values and messaging of Microsoft, which I want to do as a part of it. So I'm I'm excited for where it will go once we figure that out. Excellent. I want to answer Manudin's question. He said, any discussion on Textile 4.0 solutions, so integrated industry 4.0 solutions for Textile? Yes, there is a, a whole discussion to be had there. Uh, we're going to add this to our content, and I'll, I'll shoot a video on this. Zach, please add this to the content list. Uh, it, yes. I have it. It's way down on the list, but I have a couple of really interesting use cases I'd like to like to shoot a video on. Uh, Microsoft did a good job with Blazor and server-side Blazor. They have done a lot of years of effort and have come very far. Um, Cheryl McCrary, Walker's Managing Expectations example is my idea of what a skilled business development person should be great at. Exactly. And that I we didn't get to this conversation, Cheryl. Thank you. We didn't get to this part of the conversation, but it was, you know, Jeff's an engineer. Je Jeff Jeff is an engineer who went to Purdue and moved into sales and marketing, and that uniquely positions him, you know, um, that uniquely positions him to help manage expectations from a um, from a fluent a fluent technology perspective. So, uh, which I think is missing, sorely lacking in business development and account management on the tech side. Um, you know, and I, I'm sure Jeff agrees, but I don't want to speak for him. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody. If you've got any questions, we're, we'll probably do this again. Um, I'm going to offer to Jeff that bring him back again and we'll, we'll, there's a couple other to topics I, I'd love to cover. So. Awesome. Walker, are you are you going to make at least the kickoff for tomorrow for the 12-week accelerator? Yep, I'll be on there in the morning. Yep. All right. Ju just the uh, first 15 two... minutes or so, give or take. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I'm, I'm leading that 12-week cohort, but I was you know hoping that you might be able to make the first kickoff. So if you guys haven't signed up already, uh, there's a link below to join the Digital Mastermind, 12, and you'll automatically get an email signing up for the 12-week accelerator track. It's at no extra cost, so yeah, definitely take advantage a... of that. Yeah, speaking of personal brand, let's close it with, you know, um, I, I don't, my personal brand on LinkedIn, one of the standing um, requirements is no selling from my, my LinkedIn. So there's no calls to action to spend money on my personal LinkedIn. Part of my personal brand is I just solve problems. My, I'm here to solve problems. And and I'm and the reason why is I do that is because I'm you when I'm when I'm helping people they have to know that I'm not helping them out of financial interest part of my personal brand I believe that that part of the reason people listen to what I have to say is because I'm not benefiting financially from backing a Microsoft Microsoft doesn't pay me any money you know companies don't we don't take money we don't do any quid pro quo stuff from vendors so that people can trust my opinion, what I'm actually saying. That's part of my personal brand. But not everyone's personal brand has to be that way. You can, you can be on the other side of that coin and still pride, provide an immense amount of value. But one of the restrictions as part of my personal brand is no selling from my, mm -hmm. my LinkedIn whatsoever. Yeah, I, I have no problem selling. So if you guys want to reach out to me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> 
Jeff, I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for going over with us. Yeah, 11 thanks minutes. so much, Jeff. My Community. Guys, that was fun. Look Thank you, everybody. Uh, quick reminder, I'm doing the live Q&A every other week, so I will see everybody in two weeks. Zach is doing it on the off weeks that I'm not, I'm not here. So appreciate it.